Peace Corps gives us a chance to show a side of our country which is too often submerged. Our desire to live in peace, our desire to be of help. There can be no greater service to our country and no source of pride more real than to be a member of the Peace Corps of the United States. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the My Peace Corps Story podcast. I'm your host, Tyler Lloyd, and I'm here to help tell the stories of current and returned Peace Corps volunteers. If you like what you hear today, be sure to connect with me over on Instagram at My Peace Corps Story, on Facebook by searching for My Peace Corps Story, and as always, over at MyPeaceCoreStory.com. If you've been listening to the show and happen to be listening on Apple Podcast, and you feel like uh, maybe leaving a five-star review, that would be much appreciated. But more than anything, I want to know what you think so I can better serve my audience. And speaking of five-star reviews, I would like to give a special thanks to Anthony Storino, who says, The best podcast about the Peace Corps? Five stars. The My Peace Corps Story podcast is a charming and enticing peek into the service of Peace Corps volunteers from all over the globe, ranging from some of the earliest volunteers in the 1960s to those serving today. The MPCS podcast is a must-subscribe for any aspiring, active, or return PCV. Well, Anthony... Thank you very much for review. That is exactly what I set out to do when I started this podcast. On this week's episode, I chat with Chad Beatty, who recently returned from service in Vanuatu. We talk about island life. What is it like living on an island with just a handful of people cut off from the Western world? Well, if you want to know... Stick around for this amazing episode because this is the My Peace Corps Story podcast. This is this is this is this is my my Peace Corps Peace Corps my Peace Corps my Peace Corps story story story. My name is Chad Beatty, and this is my Peace Corps story. Hey, Chad, how are you? I'm doing well, brother. How are you doing? Doing pretty well. Excited to talk to you about your service in Vanuatu because. I actually had a choice between West Africa or the Pacific Islands, and I picked West Africa. So interested to see what I missed out on by not serving as a volunteer. You missed out on a lot, man. (laughs) Yeah, I was in a landlocked country that was partially desert, uh, so our services were probably very different. Right, right. Well, let's start off by uh, telling the audience a little bit about yourself. Who who is Chad in a a quick snippet? Oh, man. Starting off with a heavy one. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. Um, I'm from Ohio. I'm an Ohio boy. Uh, I'm 28. Went to school in Ohio. Um, Studied kind of like international nonprofit studies. It was basically a Peace Corps degree. Um, did a year in the AmeriCorps out of college before joining the Peace Corps, um, which kind of solidified my interest in service, I would say. Um, but yeah, I'm a a Midwestern Catholic raised, um, you know, I don't know, man. That's a hard, that's a hard question. (laughs) I'm still figuring out who I am. Uh, me too. I I keep, I tell people all the time, I don't know what I want to be when I grow up. I'm hoping I'll figure it out one day. Right, right. Well, it sounds like you knew about Peace Corps for a little bit before you uh, applied. You had done AmeriCorps. You were do- studying at a degree that 
sort of set you up to to do international development or or service in some respects. Was there any big driver for you deciding to take the plunge and apply to the Peace Corps? You know, it was kind of something for me. It was just kind of something I was going to do. Uh, I always knew I'd try to join the Peace Corps. Um, like I said, when I left college, I joined the AmeriCorps for a year. Um, at that time, I was wanting to apply to the Peace Corps, but they had that long application process. And, you know, it was kind of, I, I think I just needed a little time to figure things out. But, um, you know, I, yeah, I had definitely always thought about Peace Corps. And then I kind of thought, hey, I'm 25. Like, if I'm going to do it, I might as well do it now. And I'm glad I did. Mm-hmm. And when you applied, you applied under the new system where more more like a job application where you knew you were applying to Vanuatu for a certain position? Yeah, that's correct. And it's kind of funny because um, when I was applying, I, I had, this sounds bad, that <laughs> I lived three and a half years there, but I had never heard of Vanuatu before. Um, and... I applied for that, that. I put that down as the first um, choice because it was the quickest, it was the soonest departure date, <laughs> and I was ready to go. So that's why I ended up in Vanuatu. Uh, I that does not sound bad to me because I didn't know Burkina Faso was a country uh, when I got my <laughs> ass- assignment to serve there, and my choice to pick West Africa over the Pacific Islands was because West Africa was leaving sooner. So <laughs> same right, exact reasons. Right. Yeah, I wasn't trying to wait around 10 months to go, so Mm -hmm. I feel you on that one. And then what exactly was your assignment in Vanuatu? My first assignment for my first two years, I was a literacy project volunteer. So I was based in a primary school with about 120 kids, um, classes one to six, and I was a literacy, I was like a literacy teacher, teacher trainer. Uh, so I worked with a counterpart every day, um, trying to bring in new systems and ideas of, uh, ways to raise the literacy rate in the school. That was my main project. Yeah. And then if it's, uh, grades one through six, 120 kids, I'm assuming an average class size of 20 people. Yeah, I'd say right around there. Okay. And were you kind of going into the classroom doing story hour i'm trying to picture like what, what would a literacy volunteer be doing in the classroom what activities were you doing with these students yeah so i i had a counterpart i never worked alone um i had a counterpart and i would work with her in her class three room um during from like 8 a.m to 9 30 that was their english block um, so we would do basically, I, basically I would co-teach with her, um, during that hour and a half. And then after that I'd work in, we had like a little library, um, that a previous volunteer had made with the school, but I'd work in there with a, with a library assistant and we would do basically pull out groups from every class, um, just like reading groups, do different literacy literacy stuff, and then I'd finish at school around one o'clock. Okay, so a 
a certain degree of structure as a, an education volunteer doing literacy, but not a full schedule where you're coming to school at 7.30 in the morning and staying till 5.30. So you do have uh, a little bit more time on your hands outside of school. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And I lived, my house was very close to the school, so I could kind of pop in and out. Um, I mean, I was definitely working at the school every day. Um from about 8 a.m. till about 1.30. Um, mm-hmm. And like you said, yeah, that did bring a form of structure into my into my service, which I think was good. I think that, that made it easy um, to kind of integrate and get to know people. I know that some health volunteers in Vanuatu, at least, sometimes can struggle with uh, a lot of downtime. But if I ever had downtime, I could just go, I could just be at the school, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that definitely helps. I was a agriculture volunteer, so every morning it was whatever I wanted to do, which sometimes was great, and other days was utterly crippling <laughs> trying right. to figure out how to how to spend yeah, my time. Yeah, I used I used to wonder how my service would have been if that was the case, like during our school breaks for a month. You mm-hmm. know, I felt like, oh, geez, I need like a secondary project or something. But for me, that was that was half the fun. I mean, island time, there's a lot of chilling, uh, a lot of just going to the garden and stuff. You know, it, mm-hmm. it's a, it's an easy it's an easy flow. It's mm-hmm. a good. Flow. Yeah. And Vanuatu is an island nation, multiple islands, roughly 80 in total. Were you on a small island, large island? Well, I guess they're all kind of small in, in Vanuatu. Right, yeah, no, yeah. None of them are particularly big. But how how big was your community? I was on I was on an outer island, the island of Maiwo in the Panama province, um, which is, I guess, technically northern Vanuatu. It's not the northernmost province, but it's up there. Um, it's an island with a population... The whole island, roughly 3,500, 4,000 people. Um, and then I on, on that island, I lived on the east side of the island where there was only one village on the whole eastern side of that island. And it was very remote. Um, when I went there, there was no truck road. It was walking to get there down a mountain. Um, no form of communication. Um, I had a satellite phone that Peace Corps provided me with. Um, but I lived in a village, it was kind of like three stations. So in the population of that was, uh, it was over 500. Um, so it's a big village, but you know, it, it, it was, um, it was a remote location. Like I had some people, bigger people from DC Peace Corps, the headquarters that came and visited and had mentioned that like, it, it was one of the more remote sites in Peace Corps, which I just loved. That's that's I mean, that's why I joined Peace Corps. I wanted to say I, I got what I wanted out of it. You know what I mean? I wanted a, a remote site and I'm glad I'm glad I was where I was at. Mm-hmm. And were you the only volunteer? I know you were. It sounds like you were the only volunteer in that village and that community. But were you the only volunteer on that island? I was not. I was the only volunteer in the village, uh, the village of Naviso on the eastern side. But there were, let's see, I don't want to mess this one up. There were three. I mean, no one, no one will know if you if you lie to us. <laughs> there were three or four. There were four. Okay. Four or five. Four or five volunteers on the other side of the island. Um, and one, there was a married couple for my first year. 
like right up the hill, which would have been like um, in the middle bush of Maiwo, um, who they're my really great friends. And that was like an hour walk up a mountain. Um, So I'd see them maybe once a month. Um, But then the other people on the other side of the island, I didn't really go over there much just because it was such a far walk. Um, And like, I, to be honest, I didn't really need to go over there for much. So um, I might've seen them uh, maybe a couple times throughout my service, but that's about it. Okay. And because I was in a country that's all contiguous landlocked, it was pretty easy for us as volunteers to get together on a semi-regularly basis. At least once a month we would meet up and there would be maybe 10 of us, 15 of us, and once a quarter, probably larger parties maybe hosted in someone's community of upwards of 30 volunteers. But it sounds like something like that just wouldn't happen in Vanuatu. Yeah, it it could definitely happen on some of the islands that we have volunteers placed, but um, on Maiwo, probably not so much. Um, but like I said, I had a married couple, um, Aaron and Joanna, they were up in the, in the bush for a year and then another guy replaced them. His name was Emron. Um, and I, I really, I really enjoyed being close to them. Um, and like seeing the work that they were doing in the community that they were in, it kind of helped me settle in. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And does Vanuatu have a, a a local language or does everybody pretty much know English and then there is a traditional language? What what were you speaking? Language, the language, um, part of Vanuatu is pretty interesting. There's, there's a main language, which is called Bislama. That would be a language, like a common language spoken in the capital Mm -hmm. or, um, people from that are from different islands. So like neighboring islands, they would speak Bislama. But inside of the island, like in on Maiwo, in Naviso, the village I was in, it's a local dialect, um, which uh, there's actually like 115 or like 110 or 115 um, indigenous languages that are actively spoken in Vanuatu. So we're talking like Maiwo, uh, island of 3,500 people has like six active languages which is pretty, pretty cool. Um, but yeah, most people like, like I would normally speak mostly in Bislama and then I was always actively trying to learn the local dialect, but it was good that I learned Bislama cause it, it, it's kind of like a broken English, French pigeon type thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, there's a lot of languages. Okay. Very cool. And outside of school, you'd mentioned the idea of secondary projects. Did you, did you have any, what were some of your favorite ones? Yeah. Yeah. I had a bunch. I had, um, I stayed, I don't want to say busy, but I, I always had something to do. Um, I replaced a married couple who was in the village of Naviso where I was at. Um, and I kind of tried to extend their projects a little bit. Um, one guy, the guy, he did like a safe house. Uh, they built a safe house with the community, um, basically like a cyclone resistant house, which wasn't quite finished when he left. So we tried to wrap that up. And then I had a spa grant um, to enhance 
the library and bring solar power to the school. So we got like um, some solar panels, powered some laptops, lighted the classrooms. That was like a $9,000 grant. Mm-hmm. Uh, and for for those who are listening who don't know what the acronym SMA, SPA is, Small Project Assistance, right? Yeah, sorry about that one. You know, you know Peace Corps folks and all their acronyms, man. You oh, yeah. Well, well, I'm also a federal employee, so my life is oh, just okay. acro- acronyms. I just didn't want people thinking it's like, oh, SPA grant, you know, like massages, yeah, it, getting a facial it's, treatment. It's, it's, it's basically an acronym that makes it sound like it's legit. It was easy. It was it was easy. The paperwork was easy. Mm-hmm. Um and uh so we did that and then there was a telemedicine project who alexis colon um had previously done in the village and i think there's some stuff online about that somewhere it's pretty interesting um which basically it brings i want to say medical assist medical assistance to remote communities so Mm -hmm. there were 500 people who were totally what we would call off the grid communication wise and say somebody's sick or has an accident, the closest hospital or really medical assist, any like seriously medical, serious medical um, assistance would be like, I don't know, maybe a three or four hour walk up and down a mountain. Um, So she brought in, she, she found funding uh, with the government of Vanuatu and then some outside agencies as well to bring satellite internet. So they came and put a satellite down in the village and brought internet to our clinic. So the nurse could Skype call doctors on the main Island and kind of talk to them, um, and consult with them. So it's, it's an awesome project. It's still going on. It's a pilot project. It's like the first of its kind. Uh, there were people from like universities in the United States that came and just to study the the project. It, it was really great. And I got to be there for that and help with that a little bit. So that was fun. Those sound like some pretty cool projects, especially the telemedicine one. And then outside of those secondary projects, as you said, you know, you said you, you, you kept busy, but there's just a lot of downtime. How did you pass your downtime on the island? I'm assuming it wasn't all lounging on the beach, drinking out of a coconut. <laughs> it wasn't, but there was some of that. Um, <laughs> it, it was, uh, yeah, you know how it is. I mean, tons of downtime. Um, but I learned to enjoy it, you know, like uh, I was, I had a very close relationship with my host family. Um and, you know, I was living with 500 sustenance farmers. So uh, if I was ever bored, I could follow somebody to the garden and work for the day. Um, but there's also, I guess we can touch on this now, because this is basically where I, what I spent all my downtime doing is drinking kava, which is a plant that is grown in the South Pacific. Um, supposedly it originated in Vanuatu. A lot of people say that it originated actually on the island of Maiwell. It's a pepper plant. It's a root um, that you plant and then you pull it out after maybe two or three years. You grind it up into a drink and it's kind of like a uh, kind of like a relaxant. I would say it's a body relaxant. It helps with like anxiety, depression, but um, there it's taken kind of traditionally in a setting where Almost every afternoon when the sun goes down, everybody gets together at the Nakamal, which is the building where 
people drink kava and you just kind of drink kava, hang out, story on, which is a Islamic term for just talking, um, you know, shooting the stuff. So uh, that's what I did a lot of every night almost. And that was a great way to get in um, and meet people in the community and form relationships because um, I was at the Nakamal every night. Mm -hmm. And I definitely know of kava, but have never consumed it. Does it, does it have, what's it, what does it taste like? It kind of tastes like what you think the ground would taste like. <laughs> uh, it's basically. Well, I, I've, eat, like, I've uh, eaten dirt, so. <laughs> yeah, it's a dirty water. It's like a muddy water. Um, it's got a little hint of pepper in it, maybe. Um, but it, it ain't nothing that you want to sip on. You know, it's something that you shoot, you take it down in one drink. Um, it numbs your mouth a little bit. And then, uh, and then you're just chilling. It's a good thing, man. You should try it out. Mm -hmm. And you know, it, it's a it's a re relaxant, so it's a depressant on the body. It helps you kind of chill out. Uh, but it sounds like why well, I know that it's not addictive, but it sounds like it doesn't have any. You're not going to get a kava hangover from doing a little too much, or maybe. Um, I mean, yeah, you might, you <laughs> might, you might be a little easy the next morning but that's if you drink way too much um if you drink the right amount you're you actually wake up feeling fresh you know i think it's good for your body mm -hmm. um but yeah you would only be hung over if you had way too much to drink okay and were you involved in any sports on the island uh, it seems you know football or as we call it soccer is everywhere uh, was that was that something that that you did or was there any physical activity to to pass the time or was it either school secondary projects or drinking kava under a tree <laughs> um it was it was a little bit of soccer not too much i mean you know, I'd probably I'd probably run around with the kids at school on Wednesdays and play a little bit because that was their sports day. Um, but you know, when I'll put it simply, when you got to grow your own food and you don't have any outside resources coming in, it's school and then the garden and then cooking and that kind of thing. There's not too much football going on where I was at, but in terms of like. Like, say there was a holiday coming up or Independence Day in Vanuatu, they're going to have a soccer tournament. So guys will start practicing like a month before and play. Because mm -hmm. um, you know you know how easy it is to play soccer. All you need is a ball for that. So. Mm -hmm. And it, it sounds like, I mean, these, the community you were living with, they were subsistence farmers. They were, they were growing their own food. Were you able to get anything on the island that was from the outside world western world or was it a hundred percent everything you were eating was grown where you were living yeah where, where i was at uh there were a couple people that would have like a small store small island store like you could get sugar salt uh maybe some like breakfast biscuit like cracker type things mm -hmm. uh cooking oil and maybe like some tin fish. But other than that, there wasn't much. Um, mm -hmm. You know, it, basically just cooking supplies like oil, salt, and sugar, I'd say, were the staples for us. Okay, so just the, the bare minimum. And, and, and what I guess then what were you eating? What was a, a typical little meal 
or day-to-day diet for for you in Vanuatu? Yeah, man. Well, on the island of Maiwo, um, it it gets the most rainfall in Vanuatu. So there's a crop, there's a root crop called water taro. Mm -hmm. Um, It's basically dry taro, but it's it's like in a rice paddy, kind of like a stone leveled, like a terraced garden. Mm-hmm. which is all submerged in, in like swamp water. So you got a river coming down and you dig a little like uh, a little trench from that, from that water source to come flood your garden out and you plant uh, water taro. And that takes about, I don't know, three or four months to, to, till you harvest it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a big, it's a big staple on my own. Like I ate that probably two or three, man, sometimes three times a day, at least twice a day. Um, so I'd have water taro with, with a cabbage, any kind of leaf, like, but we grew bok choy, round cabbage, island cabbage. I don't even know what the real name for that is, (laughs) Um, but I'd say a normal meal for me would be a couple pieces of water taro boiled and then some cabbage boiled in coconut milk, which made it sweet. Okay. So you were living. And then obviously you got your seafood. I mean, we're on the yeah. salt water, so um, you know, if you got a friend that went diving last night, then you're gonna be eating fish. And I probably ate fish three or four times a week. Okay. Pretty simple sustenance. Remote island, satellite phone, village of a few hundred subsistence farmers. Well, we've got a good picture of your service right now, but the stories, do you have any favorite stories from your service? I'm so, I'm sorry. You were cutting out there for a second, brother. What'd you say? Do you have any, what favorite stories? Oh, I got a bunch of stories. (laughs) Um, yeah, I got, let's see a favorite memory or a favorite story that See, I'm I'm only I've only been home for six weeks, so all this stuff is still um, fresh, and I'm still reflecting on it and thinking about it all the time. But um, one one story that kind of stuck with me or sticks with me um, is my host dad came and woke me up one morning at like six a.m. and Normally, he he knew I like to sleep in until at least 7.30 or 8, so I knew something was up. And I said, what you doing, man? He said, just follow me. And he, he took me down through the village, and I noticed there weren't any guys guys around the village. I thought, that's weird. And uh, we get he takes me down to the Nakamal, which is where, like I said, where people drink kava and hang out at night. And I see a pig tied up to a... Uh, to a tree and he said today you're going to make custom so that you're able to eat inside the nakamal so so in order to be able to eat food inside of this nakamal where people uh hang out at at night you have to actually kill a pig and and it's like a rank type of uh ceremony where only men in the village are able to do it and it's kind of like they have they have their kids do it when they're young and it's kind of like a rite of passage type thing when you're growing up turning from a boy to a man. Um, and so I killed the pig outside the Nakamal and then we just all drank kava all day and roasted the pig. Um, but that was, that was probably like five months into my service 
where you're still like kind of shaky and you're still making friends. And like, that was like solidified me, especially with my, with my friends there. I was like, okay, I'm feeling like I'm being accepted and people like me. And it just took off from there. You know, that was a big part of my integration that day was. Mm -hmm. And I grew up uh, in a rural community. I also grew up hunting. So I, and I also killed uh, many a goat and chicken while, while serving in Peace Corps. But for for some people listening, the idea of (laughs) being drug out of bed early in the morning and then being told, you need to kill this animal is probably going to be a little jarring. How how was that for you? I am sorry if that offends anyone that is listening, but um, for me, it was fine. For me, it was fine. For me, it was like uh, I felt like it was it was something important that I had to do uh, mm-hmm. to kind of gain not respect, but more acceptance, I would say. Um, mm-hmm. And it, it, it's not like I asked to do it, you know, and I wasn't going to I wasn't going to turn it down. I, mm-hmm. I feel like that might actually be a little disrespectful. Um, so I felt like it was kind of like a sign saying, Hey, like, welcome. All right. This is your home now. That's what the chief said when, when I, at that ceremony, he said, Naviso is your home now. And I remember him saying that and feeling like, okay, like I'm, I'm here now. And that was five months in. I'm like, okay, I'm gonna be all right. Mm-hmm. Well, that is a, a good memory to have. And then opposite of that, we're, do you have any memories or stories that or a time when you were really challenged? Maybe you were second guessing uh, you being on that island, being so remote where you were, maybe you, you thought or considered for a second of uh, ETing, early termination. Do you ha- Did you ever have a point where you really struggled with your service? I never had a point where I thought about leaving. Um, but you know, I definitely had my struggles and, and challenges. I mean, it it wasn't easy. Um, it's a beautiful place, but it took some getting used to. Um, and I, as far as memories that I, bad memories, um, I'd say most of that's related just to seeing people lose, seeing people go, seeing people die and that are close to you and that you've gained this relationship with and sometimes being in a remote place like that um you kind of feel like you kind of feel when when somebody loses their life um like maybe if they were in town they 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 could have gotten some medical treatment to keep them alive um so it, it it was hard seeing people go you know before i feel like they it was their time it wasn't their time yet um so that that kind of stuff got to me a little bit but you know you find your you find your ways to get out of your funks and mine was just hanging out with my host mom because i just loved her and we were great friends so when i like a lot of peace corps volunteers talk about coping mechanisms you know but i got to a point in my service where my coping mechanism was just hanging out with my host mom so it made my life very easy uh but yeah, you know, it wasn't all sand beaches and kava. There were there were hard times. Mm-hmm. And then when you were hanging out with your host mom, what were you what were you doing? Were you helping her in the kitchen, or just just hanging out and chilling? Yeah, a lot a lot of a lot of all that really. Um, learning how to cook, 
like the traditional dishes, uh, learning, following her to the garden was a big one. Um, cause you know, when I, when I first would ask her, Hey, you mind if I follow you today and go to the garden, she, we'd get to the garden and she'd say, she'd see a, see a shade tree and say, all right, you go ahead and sit down. <laughs> and, and that, that probably lasted for a couple months, but by the end of it, by the end of those two years, she was sending me to go to the garden to go get the food and come back, you know? So it's just transitions, but you just got to put in the work and the time for that stuff. Mm-hmm. And you said you've only been back six weeks, right? Yeah, man. Yeah, I've been back in Ohio for six weeks. I I actually had extended my contract, so two years were spent on Milo, and then uh, Peace Corps Vanuatu's got a deal where they have, uh, they call them Peace Corps Volunteer Leaders, PCVLs. Mm-hmm. Um, so I extended for a third year and worked in the Peace Corps office in the, in the capital of Port Vila. So that was a good transition for me from island life into the town. And then now I'm back in Ohio and, uh, next month I'm moving to New Orleans to take a job with the government. Awesome. Well, congrats on the job. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. I'm excited. And then what exactly were you doing then as a PCVL, uh, I think we used to have those in Burkina, but then they weren't really active when I was a volunteer. So, so what did that entail? Yeah, it was it was a great gig, man. I loved it. I loved it. I, I got to work in the Peace Corps office um, with all of the U.S. direct hires and then the local staff. Um, I was basically just kind of like a median, kind of like a bridge between volunteers and the office. Um, kind of relaying that volunteer perspective in, in programming and training meetings. And then what I really liked to do was which, what we called site development, which I got to see a lot of the country, um, traveling around, talking to different villages who wanted to host volunteers, um, doing some host family trainings, um, site identification, trying to figure out where all the new volunteers are going to go. So I had a lot of freedom in that role, and, and, and I was appreciative of that. Um, learned a lot, and uh, just really loved it, working in the office. Mm-hmm. And then since you've only been back six weeks, how, how's it going? How's the, the transition? Ohio is a little different than Vanuatu. Yeah, Ohio's far away from my woman, but I'm doing all right. I'm, I'm doing well. Uh I'm staying with my family right now. Um, it's great to be around them. Uh, I've got all my buddies around here from high school and college. And uh, you know how those good friends are. You can leave for three or four years and come back and feel like you ain't missed a beat. So I'm real thankful for that and thankful for my family for dealing with me during the transition because it, it hadn't been easy. It, mm-hmm. it, I, I wouldn't say it's easy, but I'm doing all right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it sounds like you're doing okay, but maybe you've, I wouldn't say had the, there's that classic sort of meltdown of being in the grocery store and seeing all the options of cereal and just being paralyzed <laughs> by by options. That it is doesn't, true. It doesn't that sound is. like you're on that spectrum, but maybe you're, you're getting some I, yeah. of that. I haven't been there yet, but uh, I do remember landing down at LAX and having a little moment where I had to catch my breath. I'll, I'll put it like that. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> And you haven't been gone long, but what have you been? What have you been missing since since being home? 
Oh, I miss it all, man. I miss it. I miss everything. I, I even miss the things that I didn't think I'd be missing, like that downtime we were talking about. Um, I miss my host family a lot. Um, you know, I it, it's kind of funny because I was living like in one of the most what you would imagine a beautiful place, just a be- absolutely gorgeous place. And I don't really think about that too much. I think about the people. I think about my friends, my squad. Um, the guys at the knock them all, the conversation, the laughs, the jokes. Um, I just miss, I just miss my friends. Um, but you know, life, it's life. Like in Bislama, you'd say life, like that's just how it goes. Um, but I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. Um, but I do miss it. I miss my host mom a lot too. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, um, I'm, I would say, Probably the biggest thing I miss is just waking up and not having anything to do, you know, <laughs> and, and and not not I don't mean that in a lazy way. I mean, that is like you go outside and you see a friend saying, what what you doing today? And I don't nothing. Oh, you want to follow me and go to the garden, you know, and then before you know it, it's dark. Um, in Bislama, that'd be called having a white page. So, you you know, just like you, you don't have a plan. And and I miss that. I miss that a lot. Uh, I feel you there. Even on my weekends and my the days where I don't have anything, even on vacations, you always you always have something. It's it's hard to recreate that. Wake up and just figure it out today. Nothing right. really to do. Right, right. And that was a big chunk of my life, man. That was two years, so mm-hmm. uh, I do miss that quite a bit. Well. You extended as a volunteer. It sounds like you absolutely loved your life over there. What was the deciding factor to come back when you did? Because you could have stayed up to five years. What what made you say, okay, I, I've, I've done the village life. I've been a PCVL. Now I, I need to go back or I need to do something else. Yeah, see, um, Peace Corps, let's see, Peace Corps Vanuatu, they – they have the two year service and then you can extend it for one year and that's it. So I was oh, basically, so that's end. it. Yeah. Yeah. I was at the end of my run. Um, but you know, it, it ain't like I ran away. Uh, I, I, I accomplished what I wanted to accomplish going there. Um, but yeah, it was hard to leave. It was really, really hard to leave. Uh, but you know, I, I remember at my going away, uh, dinner, like the chief of my village said, you know, it was easy to shake your hand when you came here, but it's hard to say goodbye. And that really means something, you know, mm-hmm. that means that, that your time wasn't wasted. Um, and I feel like my time in Vanuatu wasn't wasted. I wish I had more of it, but you know. Mm-hmm. Well, I've enjoyed hearing about your experience. I definitely feel I have a very good sense for what you did over there and just your love and appreciation that really comes through as you're, you're talking about your experience in Vanuatu. Is there, is there anything else? What, what else do we, we need to know about your service that maybe we didn't touch on? Oh man. Um, I, I would just touch on the fact that, um, that Vanuatu is just such a great place. Like, um, 
I think maybe like five years ago, it was like voted the happiest place in the world or something like that. But, uh, you know, I think for a lot of people listening, they probably, you know, and, and there's nothing wrong with it, but you probably haven't heard of Anawatu. Maybe they had a survivor season there once, but that's about it. And uh, it's just a great place. You know, a lot of people hear about Fiji. Well, if y'all want a vacation in the South Pacific, just go to Vanuatu. I guarantee you'll love it. Um, you'll be welcomed with open arms and, and, uh, get a lot, get a lot out of your trip. Um, it's a great place. Uh, it's a place that's rooted in family. It's rooted in what's called story on, which story on is just a word for just kind of hanging out and talking like we're doing right now. This would be a story on. So, um, there's a lot. Yeah, there's a lot. I don't know, man. It's so hard to talk about my experience, you know. Because there's so many details, I, I never know what to touch on, and I'm still learning how to do this whole thing of talking about it. Um, so hopefully I did all right. Uh, you did very well, and I, I guarantee this this interview is going to end, and probably a little bit later this afternoon, you, you're going to think, oh, man, I should have told him <laughs> about this time and this oh, time. Oh, I'm already thinking that. I'm already and I forget about this. Yeah. No, there's yeah. it. it is near impossible to condense two years and then you had an extra year of your life into a 45 minute podcast episode. I was crazy enough to even try to write a book about my service and it didn't even scratch the service of like everything that happens. (laughs) Uh, So you, you have kudos on that, man. Kudos on that respect. Hey, well, uh, you can do it too. Uh, Just uh, one word after another and uh, (laughs) eventually you got a, you got a book. Yeah. I might have to one day down the road. Mm-hmm. It's definitely cathartic to to get some of those things out and and relive it and reflect on it. But hopefully you've enjoyed uh, talking with me and reflecting a little bit, even though it's only six or six weeks out. Uh, you've probably been been thinking a lot about your time there. I've ha- I've really enjoyed uh, speaking with you. To close out the show, do you have a favorite quote or local saying that you would like to share? Oh, um. Let's see. Bislama is a great language, man. There's so many little funny little sayings. And um, I do, I, I would say a favorite quote of mine was one time when I was out on Milo, I, w- I was with my host I'm at the garden and we were working and I was sweating and, and I said, man, this is, this is hard work, you know? And, and she said, I'll say it in Bislama, but she said, Life me stalo ground, which means our life is in the ground. This is how we survive. Um, sweat hem me money. Like our money, our sweat is our money, and our ground is our life. So that's a good one. And and I I definitely have a respect for any kind of sustenance farmer across the world. It's just such a great, it's such a such a great way of living, you know. And I got a lot of respect for that. Well, I think that that's a perfect way to encapsulate uh, your service and what you experienced there. Uh, Thank you again for coming on the show. I've really enjoyed it, and I think the listeners will as well. Yeah, thanks a lot, man. And thanks a lot for, you know, having this podcast. I used to download this thing and listen to it when I was at site. Uh, So it's good to hear different perspectives around the world. I appreciate you for doing it, man. 
And there you have it, another episode of the My Peace Corps Story podcast. If you've made it this far, I would wager that you enjoyed the show. So if you are listening via Apple Podcasts, stop right now, open up that app, and leave a review for the show. As I said at the beginning, five-star reviews are extremely appreciated, but more than anything, I want to know what you think about the show so I can better serve my audience. If you are listening for the very first time, feel free to leave a review, but hit that subscribe button so you get a new episode every single week when I release them. It has been a pleasure spending some time with you, helping Chad tell his story. Until next time, remember, every volunteer has a story. What's yours?